Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving, and I want you to notice this part, and pay thy vows unto the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. First uh, verse there that we read, verse 14, the latter portion says, and pay thy vows unto unto the Most High. Let's go to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter number 2, and I want to begin reading there with verse 31. Verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold and his breast and arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without, out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay and brake them to pieces." Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. The stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a King of kings, for God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given unto thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, another third kingdom of brass which shall bear rule over the earth and the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things as the iron that breaketh all things shall it break in pieces and bruise and whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron the kingdom shall be divided but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron. For as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay, as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. I, uh, I want to use as a subject title, and it may not really connect at first, with these scriptures, but uh, hopefully by the conclusion of our 
Bible study this evening, you'll be able to realize where I'm coming from, but I want to speak from this subject, a new normal, a new normal. With the onslaught of the COVID-19 pandemic that we've been experiencing over the last month and a half, and for some maybe even longer than that, we understand that there's been a lot of adjustments, adjustments in our lifestyles. There has uh, been the closure of businesses, been the closure of schools, and I think that that's probably been like one of the vials of tribulation for a lot of parents is that the schools have been shut down. And there has been adjustments with how we interact socially. We have come to know the term social distancing, which was something that was pretty foreign to us before this pandemic. Churches, we've, we've had to adjust to online service streaming, and uh, there's been cancellations of graduations and uh, a lot of other things that we were planning to do perhaps have been canceled at least for the time being. More severe adjustments have been patients of hospitals having to go and endure surgeries and be there maybe for several days without any visitors being allowed in to see them, to encourage them, to comfort them. A minister cannot go in and, and pray for them. And uh, there's other adjustments involving uh, memorial and funeral services. Uh, there's not been uh, funeral services that have been able to exceed the number of 10 people. And uh, this has been adjustments, unwanted, unexpected adjustments that we've had to deal with over the last several weeks. And there's a statement in all of this that keeps emerging. And I know that you've heard it because I've heard it at least a hundred times during this pandemic. Is when will things get back to normal? You hear that said in one way or another uh, several times, maybe even in the day in people's conversations. When do you think things are going to get back to normal. And I understand and can certainly empathize with the desire to have things get back to the routine and the physical aspect of, of normal and getting back to normal business and things that we're used to and things having a semblance of security again. I can understand all of that. But I want you to think of this in a spiritual sense. As I have been praying about this, and as I've heard this statement used over and over again, I, I begin to relate it spiritually. And I felt as though the Lord has impressed upon my heart that we don't need to go back to the same routine, the same rut, if you will, the same status quo spiritually that we were before this all occurred. I believe that this has been a growing experience for the church. This has been something that has stretched us like never before. I know that it has caused me to stretch in areas and as a church family we've had to dig down deep with our faith and trust God in areas that perhaps we were not used to. 
There's a lot of things that we've had to adjust in our lives and living for the Lord spiritually. It's caused people to be provoked to more prayer, perhaps, than they have been praying in recent months. And uh, all of these, as I have stated to you in times past, are good things. And it's kind of shaken us and stirred us up. And some changes have been wrought through this that have been good changes and changes that we need to keep, changes that we need to maintain over time. We don't need to slip back away from this and allow ourselves to just get back to the same oh same oh. I think it's very important that we continue to maintain the habits of prayer, the habits of studying and digging into the Word of God, turning our attention and our focus towards the Lord. These are some good takeaways that we need to continue in. And as I was pondering this subject, I thought about I thought about this story in the book of Daniel with the king Nebuchadnezzar. Now, I know a few services ago I referred to this dream, but I want to go a little bit different direction with it, if I may, here tonight. We understand that the book of Daniel, even more specifically, this particular passage that I read to you from concerning uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is rich with prophetic meaning. And I'm not going to get into all of the theological uh, things that we could in this particular passage or all the uh, end-time eschatological uh, events that occur with this, and and I'm not going to dissect all of that. But uh, we know that this dream and the interpretation of it, there's a lot of things that are prophetic in meaning. Because after Nebuchadnezzar dreamt this dream, as you may recall me stating this a few services ago, uh, he, could not, he could not recollect, or he could not recall the details of the dream as it was given to him. But he knew that there was something very significant about this dream. He understood that there was something more to it than just a usual dream that would be dreamt and then easily forgotten, but it was something that stayed with him. He knew that that uh, there was some type of spiritual significance connected to it. He was troubled. He was perplexed about it. But yet he could not recall the details. And so uh, he didn't even have the foggiest idea of what was going on. And so he calls for his soothsayers and he calls for uh, the magicians, and they come, and he tells them to try to interpret the dream, and yet they were not able to do it. They were not able to give him the interpretation of the dream. And uh, yet it will not leave him. He, he's bothered by it. And yet uh, he cannot, again, get the details of it. I think when the Lord visits us, and when the Lord moves upon us, it's, it's important for us to be able to grasp that and get a hold of that. There's moments that we don't need to forget. There's things that we need to mark in our lives. There's situations that we need to be able to uh, ponder upon and look to and 
receive from in our walk with God when God visits us. But that was not the case with this king. It is important to remember Nebuchadnezzar at this point in history had conquered much of the known world. Matter of fact, uh, the Babylonian Empire was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of its time. Even this interpretation of the dream, we know at the time of the interpretation of this dream, we know that the Lord was actually using Babylon to deal with his people. And he was using them, in one scripture it says, as an instrument in his hand to lead the people of God back to him. And it had been prophesied previously that the Babylonians would rule over them for the space of 70 years. And Daniel prophesied here that God has placed you, Nebuchadnezzar, in a position that even the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field are subject unto you. The Babylonian kingdom was the empire of the day. It was a force to be reckoned with. And when Nebuchadnezzar desired an interpretation to this dream and could not find it through the astrologers and through the magicians and all of those that he had called upon to interpret it, it finally was brought to his, uh, to his uh, mind that, that Daniel could interpret dreams. And so Daniel was brought before the king and he said, Art thou able to make known this dream unto me? And I want you to note Daniel's response. He said, there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. Uh, he had the same attitude as his predecessor Joseph, who interpreted dreams, also had. He said, it's not in me, Pharaoh. He said, but it is up to God to interpret this dream. And if God will reveal it to me, then I'll reveal what he shows me. But I, I don't have any special gift in myself to interpret dreams, but I depend upon God. And so uh, Daniel begins in detail to share this dream to Nebuchadnezzar and exactly how it occurred. And he described this image. and He told how it was bright and it was great, how excellent it was in its formation. And he uses the word to describe it. He says that it was terrible. And when we think of the word terrible, we think of it as far as in terror or something negative, but that is not necessarily uh, the sense in which it is used here. It's not used in a negative sense, but in this passage of Scripture, it's a term of respect and awe. Uh, this, this thing was so great and massive. And he said its head was of fine gold, pure, valuable, Pure gold was, was absent of impurities. And so this was something that was, that was bright and brilliant. And uh, it was something that was notable, a precious metal. He said its breast and its arms were of silver, its belly and its thighs of brass, and its legs of iron. But note, it says that its feet were part iron and part clay. And then it describes what type of clay. It says that it was miry clay. Now, this image, of course, represents the Babylonian Empire. But it also is very telling, and I think as you study about this, and theologians tend to agree, 
that is very telling about the character of Nebuchadnezzar himself. It describes a lot of things about the man Nebuchadnezzar, as well as giving us a snapshot into the future and prophetic events and things that are going to occur in the end time. But notice when Daniel tells him about this dream that he's totally surprised. He's in total awe because, again, the people that he had counted on, the people that he had leaned on to give him the interpretation were not able to do it. So when this man that he hardly knew until this point comes in and reveals this to him, uh, he's in total shock and He has this epiphany. He says, you know what? That's exactly the way that I dreamed it. That is exactly in detail. I'm remembering now, just like you, if you had forgotten something that has occurred in the past, but there's something that someone says or something that you see that reminds you of that event, and it takes you back to that very place, and you can see it just like you were there again. That's exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar and he was so moved and he was so impressed by this and so enamored with Daniel that he makes this statement I want you to notice this I mean this man went from being a guy that depended on soothsayers basically witchcraft astrologers depended on uh, those kinds of things people that dealt in magic So suddenly he comes in contact with a prophet, a man of God, and he gives him and delivers to him exactly what the Lord wants him to see from this vision. And he says in verse 46, then it says in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and worshiped. And he was so stirred and so moved upon. And I want that to be impressed upon your minds that he proclaimed, your God is the God of gods. In other words, there's no God like yours, Daniel. There's no one that we can turn to that is as wise. There's no one that we can turn to that can answer our questions. The search is over. This is the God that we need to serve. He is the God of all gods. And he proclaimed Daniel to be a great man. And he gave him a position in his kingdom And he lavishes him with gifts. And it would seem that this story would be a happily ever after story. That now, I mean, this king of Babylon has been a convert. I mean, he has turned towards God. And he's going to serve God. He's going to live for God. Nebuchadnezzar, it seems like, would always remember this event and how God was a God of gods and how God had blessed him to know something that otherwise was unknowable and that once he had begun to worship God that he would just continue to worship God that he would never stray away from this he would never forget what God had done for him but that's simply not how this story continues to unfold in fact uh, he does not continue to live for God he does not continue Uh, to keep any kind of commitment to God. He no longer has that feeling of respect and awe. And no longer, after a few days, is he making declarations like he made on the day the dream was revealed to him of how awesome that God is and how great he had anointed Daniel to give him this interpretation. 
But in the very next chapter, we don't know exactly how much time lapsed between, but in chapter 3, you begin to read about an entirely different Nebuchadnezzar. And I marvel at this. Here God has given him such a great and mighty sign of his reality and that he is the living God, that he is in fact Jehovah, the one that is deserving to be worshipped and deserving to be lived for. And we see in the third chapter, Nebuchadnezzar building that infamous image before God or, 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 or before the people. And, and he builds it, and it's called an image of gold. And theologians say that he must have fashioned this after himself, that it had a lot of the same appearance of Nebuchadnezzar himself, and it was a very large uh, statue that was placed there, idol that was placed there, and he called all of the people together. He called the princes, he called the nobles, he called the governors, he called the captains, the judges, and the rulers, and he was going to dedicate this image. This was going to be a grand occasion. He had called this great assembly of people together, and he commanded, when the music is played, I want everybody to bow down before this image that just so happens is formed and fashioned to look like me. I want you to bow down before it. But there were three Hebrew boys amongst that congregation that refused to bow their knees. When the music was played, they continued to stand erect and they refused to bow. Because these three Hebrew boys had been taught since they were children that there is only one Lord. They had been taught the Shema from the time that they were just children. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And they simply refused to bow. They refused uh, to give homage to this image. They refused to do what the king had ordered them to do. And we need folks in this generation that will not buckle under the pressure that is put on them by peers and others, but will stand true to their convictions and stand up and say, you know, I'm going to live for God and serve God. I'm not just going to bow to the pressure that is out there and not worship the Lord that I love and that I serve. And so the king threatened them. He threatened them with a fiery furnace. He said, if uh, you refuse to bow, I'm going to give you another chance. But if you refuse... We're heating up the furnace and uh, seven times hotter than it is. And uh, you're going to be cast into that fiery furnace if you refuse to bow. And these men noticed their response. They said, first of all, our God is able. They had faith that God was able to deliver them. Our God is able to deliver us out of this furnace. He's able to keep us. But even if not, even if he lets us perish in the fires of that furnace, we're not going to bow to your image. And this angered him. And this caused him, after they refused to bow when the music was played, to cast them into the fire. But when he witnessed that there was only three that were cast in, but when he looked and there was a fourth man walking about in the fire along with them, likened to the Son of God. The Scripture says that again he was stirred, he was moved upon, 
And after these men uh, were able to be extracted from this fiery furnace, he was totally uh, spellbound by this God that had delivered these Hebrew boys. And notice what he says in verse 28 of chapter 3. He said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He is so moved that he says, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything against their God be cut in pieces. What a pendulum swing. What a drastic change that has taken place in this man. This is the same guy that says, if you don't bow to this image, we're going to cast you into the fire. But yet when they're delivered by the help of God from the fire, he changes totally again and goes back and says, hey, there's no God again like their God. And if anybody says anything about their God, if anybody refuses to worship their God, if anybody speaks against their God, then they're going to be cut in pieces. You see the vacillation that is taking place. You see the swings uh, uh, that is taking place. It seems like uh, he is parallel to a lot of people today. When they need God or when God moves upon them, when they desire something from God, they make commitments and they, they, they make consecrations to the Lord and they make vows unto God of what they're going to do. But then when things get better and time, a little time goes by and things kind of get back to normal, as we like to say, then they slide back into the same lifestyle and the same routine. We've seen it with 9-11. We've seen it with other events that have taken place with the crash of the economy in 2008 and the people with loss of jobs and, and all of that. We've seen it, we've seen it even in this pandemic as, as there is uh, suddenly an awakening and there should be an awakening. But I warn you, we don't want to just return back and, and kind of slide back into the old routine, but there needs to be a new normal that is set in our lives. And we need to realize that, God, I'm making some commitments to you that I don't just plan on keeping through the pandemic, but I plan on keeping until you come because I realize that you've given me an opportunity in your mercy to be saved. Nebuchadnezzar, you would think, would surely be 100% convinced after this never go back to his old practices, never return to his old ways, continue to worship God, Stay true to his commitment. But that's simply not the case. I want you to notice that even the very next chapter, chapter 4, he lifted himself up in pride on the porch of his palace in Babylon and said, Would you look at this great Babylon that I have built by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? I mean, I'm back on top again. I'm, I'm, I'm back in control of things again. I got money back in my pocket again. My job is secure again. Everything is going good and going my way again. And the Bible says, while the word was still in his mouth, while he was yet saying these things, that he was driven from men, and the heart of the beast was placed within him. And he did eat grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, and his hair grew out like eagle's feathers, and nails like 
his nails like bird's claws. Notice the impact of this experience. This was a period of time that he had to endure this. He was separated. He didn't he couldn't even relate to people anymore because of the heart of the beast that was placed in him until he finally comes to a place in verse 34. And at the end of this, or at the end of the days, these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. Mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever. Here we see the contrition. Here we see the humility again, and the cycle begins all over again. And this is a cycle that you see in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. This pendulum that, that swings back and forth between commitment and consecration to God and then going back to a carnal, prideful lifestyle. Making commitments and promises and vows unto God and decrees of what we're going to do and how we're going to serve Him only in time to slip back into the old routine and just get back to normal again. When Daniel described this image to the king, I want you to notice he, he said his head is of fine gold, but his feet, his feet is of clay. Gold represents deity all through the scripture. Clay always represents humanity and flesh. You and I, we're, we're of clay, the Bible tells us. And, and often that is related to. This man had golden intentions. This man had golden aspirations and desires towards God, towards deity, towards the things of God. That's what he had in his mind to do. But that that, that was in his mind, that that was in his head, never got down in his feet, and he never was able to walk with God steadily and commit himself to the Lord. It's important that we not just have golden intentions, but we let that get down in our feet and we learn to walk with God and serve God, not just in times when we need Him, or not just in times of desperation, but at all times we serve the Lord. The Bible illustrates in this story that God really dealt with Nebuchadnezzar in three different ways. He came to him in his thoughts, the dreams of the night. He moved upon his mind, in other words. And that's how God can deal with people. God deals with people and moves upon them. And they have a thought of coming back to church. Or they have a thought of serving the Lord. They have a thought of picking up in, in some areas that they've let get slack. They, they have a thought of, 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 of returning to, to more of the prayer life that they used to have or the commitments that they used to the convictions that they used to hold. God deals with us. He communicates to us. Those thoughts are not just random. Those are God thoughts that He impressed upon you. He placed in your mind. He said, O King, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. He's, he's, he's telling him, God moved upon you and God is, is intending to show you some things and reveal to you some things about him. So he witnessed it first in his mind, but then he also witnessed God moving upon the lives of others. He witnessed it in the testimony of other people's lives. When he saw these three Hebrew boys delivered out of the fiery furnace that he had thrown them into, when he saw that there was a fourth man walking in the fire, 
This was God revealing through the testimony of somebody else that He is real, that He is worthy to be worshipped, that we need to turn to God and serve Him. And that's how God works. He uses the testimony of others. Others witness to us. Others talk to us about God. We see what He's done in their life. We see the change that has been wrought in their life. And isn't it a merciful God and how that He moves in the lives of others and lets it be seen and witnessed by those that are around them in such a miraculous way what He's done. And so God dealt with him in that way. But still, that wasn't able to, to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention. And so He dealt with him personally. He dealt with him personally. And there was a hardship and there was some difficulties that came upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men. He was separated. This is a, an illustration of maybe what's going on in the world today. People being separated from normal. Being separated from what they're usually uh, feeling secure with. And, and things have changed so abruptly. And he said at the end of that, he said, I lifted up my voice and said, there's a God in heaven, and I'm going to worship Him, and I'm going to serve Him, and I'm going to give my life to Him. And that's, that's what God intends for us to do, and that's how God deals with us. Sometimes He deals with us by just simply dropping a thought in our minds that we need to, we need to be praying more. We need, to, we need to get back to the things of God. We need to serve the Lord. And then He deals with us through the testimony of somebody else. And then if he has to, sometimes he allows a little hardship and difficulty. You know what? I would rather face a few hardships here than to spend eternity separated from him. I'd rather spend a little time in isolation alone with God and having to get some things sorted out with God here than to be totally throughout eternity, eternity isolated from him. But God, help me to respond according to to how you're moving on me now. And help me, God, to be obedient to your voice. I want to pay my vows, as the psalmist said. I want to follow through with my commitment. I want to leave you with this story. I, I uh, read a story today that moved me. It was about a pastor that he had a gentleman in his church that was just a, a strong, faithful man. Matter of fact, he was one of those dependable type men that if you ever needed anything done, you just knew that you could ask him. He never said no. He always was willing to do to the best of his ability. This man's name was Brother Walter. And, and so, uh, Pastor, when something would come up, uh, a lot of times he would ask him because he just knew the job would get done. But he, he sort of felt bad that, you know, all the time it seems like he's the one that I go to. He's the man that I always get for the job. And he would go and ask somebody else and maybe they would say that they didn't have time to do it or they would give some type of excuse and, and always would end up going back to, to Walter. He said, Brother Walter, would you be willing to do this? And, and he would always say yes. And this was amazing to this pastor and one day there was a, a pressing need and he, he went to Walter because he had already checked with some others and, and he couldn't find anybody to help in the situation and it needed to be done fairly quickly. And so he went to Brother Walter and he said, Brother Walter, would you help me with this situation? And 
He said, well, Pastor, he said, you know I will if I possibly can. He said, before you do, he said, you know, this is something that's been on my mind for a long time. He said, before you do, he said, I want you to tell me, is, where did you get such a willingness? Is there something along the way in your walk with God that has happened to cause you to have such a willingness to always do whatever you're asked to do in the church and for the things of God? He said, well, matter of fact, Pastor, there is. He said, you know, just this last summer, he said, you married my, my daughter. And it was a beautiful ceremony. And he said, you know, her and her husband are doing well and they're being blessed. and They're living for the Lord, serving him. And I couldn't be happier. He said, but when she was a little girl, she fell sick. He said, and over a period of time, she just got worse. And he said, we had to take her to the hospital. And when we got there, uh, the thing just kept getting worse, and the doctor could not identify what the problem was. And after trying to treat her for a period of time, he finally came out of the waiting room where I was, and he said, Walter, he said, are you, you a praying man? And he said, yes, sir, I am, doctor. He said, well, he said, that's all we've got left at this point. There's nothing more that I can do for your daughter. If you know God, you need to pray. He said, well, I, I think I may have a little credit up there. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And he bowed his knees and he began to cry out to God. And he said, God, I know that I cannot bargain with you. I know that it's not, it's not in my hands and I cannot twist your arm. But he said, I can do this. He said, if you will spare my daughter and save her, from this sickness and give life to her and let her live. He said, I make this promise. I make this vow to you that no matter what it is, if it's in my capacity to do it, when I'm asked, I will always be willing to do it and I'll do my best. And he looked at his pastor and said, and you know God did spare her, obviously. And God has blessed us with a beautiful daughter that has lived and is a blessing now to the kingdom of God and living for God, serving the Lord and has a family of her own. And I've never forgotten that it was the mercies of God and the goodness of God that saw us through that difficult time. And I've made up my mind that I'm going to keep my vow unto the Lord. So, Pastor, whatever is asked of me, if I can do it, I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Can I tell you that that's the attitude that we need to adopt during this time? Many of us are making commitments. Many of us, and rightfully so, and we should. I'm not at all discouraging making commitments and vows unto God. But let's make vows that we intend on keeping. Let's make adjustments in our lives and Let's don't go back to the same old, same old, or the status quo, but let's, let's create a new normal for our lives. And when we go forward from this, let's don't let this be wasted. This month and a half of, of uncertainty and learning to trust God and learning to have more faith in God and learning to pray at a deeper level and learning how to intercede for others and learning how to adjust and being stretched Let's don't let that, that ever get, get shrunk back down to what it was before this all started. But let's let there be a new normal in our life.